All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Build Podcast. Episode 72 is with Nashville recording artist, Mr. Ross Flora. He's got a brand new single coming out. It's his first single. It's called Cannonball. And it is going to be available on Spotify and iHeart and iTunes, everywhere you hear the Garageville podcast. I want to remind you to visit our sponsors, please. The Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company. You'll save 10% or see free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the discount code GARAGEVILLE10 on all orders at ArlenNess.com. We're also brought to you by Bell Helmets USA. Follow on Instagram at Bell Helmets underscore power to see the latest in helmet design and safety and see your local Bell Helmet dealer to order yours today. We're brought to you by Electric Lighting, top shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of industry leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the marketplace. Use the discount code SPEED2021 for free shipping in the lower 48 USA on all orders over $100 at namscustomcycleproducts.com. 1620 Workwear is premium made in the USA workwear that is guaranteed for life. Visit 1620USA.com and use the discount code SPEED2022 and you're going to save 20% at checkout. The High Seas Rally. Join me and my friends this October on the High Seas for the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. One week, four Caribbean ports. What could go wrong? Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram and use the code SPEEDMETAL and you'll save 100 bucks on your cabin price and we're even throwing in the drink card. Team Dream Rides in Tennessee and Maryville. Visit TeamDreamRides.com. Just minutes from the tail of the dragon. My friends over there, Ben, John, Janine, everybody at Team Dream Rides. Follow along at Dream Rides Tennessee on Instagram. It's time to get this episode running. We're going to get it out of the garage, out into the street. And make sure you're leaving us a review, please, on Instagram and Spotify and iTunes and share this with everybody you can. It's time for the Garageville podcast. You're listening to the Garageville podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. So, uh, why don't you start with, with Ross Flora, and you are based in Nashville, right? Yes. Yeah, I've been here for about ten years. Right on. And where did you uh, where did you start out at? So, if you've been in Nashville for ten years, where were you the the, the previous? So, I was born and raised in just south of Roanoke, Virginia, in Franklin County. Right on. Around Lake, right there, and in the Appalachian Mountains. So, good riding and. You know, old mountains and soulful to you know learn to play music in. Yeah, there's a uh, there's like a whole like uh, you know um, my my ancestors are from West Virginia, and uh, oh, yeah. I think there's just an amazing amount of um, soul in that area, if you, if you will. Yeah. Like you know, I mean, it, it does lend itself to to um, 
to a, a different kind of music and a different kind of way of looking at things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I heard that the soulful thing from a um, from an old guy that used to work on my bikes. He was kind of from the hippie era, but he was just a diehard rider, and he he was the first one to ever tell me when I was sixteen, like you can get lost in the soul of these mountains out here. He's like, you know, because I was talking about going out west and riding. He was like, you ain't lacking for anything around these parts. If you get deep enough in these mountains, you'll you'll have the ride of your life. So. I think that's a, that's a, there's a song in there. I think <laughs> there's definitely, you know, yeah. um, there's a kind of person, there's a kind of human that is from that part of the country that I think gets lost on a lot of people that never visited. I think, like you said, you know, you want to go out West and you want to take a look. And I think that, uh, through literature and through, uh, Hollywood and through just kind of a, a, a need to kind of get out of where you're from people have migrated that way because there's so much space out there but man the the our country our you know this nation that, that we all love um started in the part of the country where your music comes from yeah i mean that was the western boundary for so long where those mountains you know and for the early part of you know establishing america so that there is a deeper and you know it's the first rural part of america is in that area, you know, where folks moved to get away. It was the furthest west you could get, you know, or you dared tr to try to get, basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, how hardy were the Americans and the, the immigrants that that actually traversed the 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 Appalachian Mountains and then moved all the way through the plains and got into like some of the areas of like, you know, South Dakota and the Black Hills and then got to the other side of the Rocky Mountains. There was just some hardy, hardy people. Right. I mean, on a horseback and, you know, or on a, on a wagon or even walking. I mean, that's just. Yeah. To think that people were able to do that is, um, is amazing, is amazing. You know, um, the first time that I actually got to travel to the part of the country that you're from was around 2005. That's where I, you know, on a motorcycle, I went to an event called the Smokeout, and uh, we stayed over in West Virginia. And I had never been there, and I knew that's where my family was from. And there was something that pulled me in there. There's a there's the the soulful thing that you talk about. It's definitely it's in the air. Yeah, yeah, you breathe it. It's for. You can taste it and feel it all around you out there. That's for sure. So, so we do, uh, we have a lot of people. I mean, obviously we're kind of a motorcycle based podcast. So why don't you tell me about yeah. the bike that you ride? So right now I've got a 05 Heritage Softail. That's my kind of, that's my go-to bike. Um, I've got a, an 89 Sports to 1200 with a couple Screaming Eagle upgrades on a twisted chopper frame hardtail and drop seat nice chopper it's it's my all-time coolest bike i've ever seen for me personally and i was able to get my hands on it and it's nice and you know it's not the biggest motor you know a little 1200 but you know it gets the job done and as light as the bike is as bare bones as it is it, it you know it's got some get up so pretty, i love that thing pretty tough to be a good old sports or chopper and did you know do you know jason and kai from twisted choppers or is it just something that you saw and you had to have this was a uh, it was a second hand so i got it from a um uh guy in the military up in uh up north of town and he he was having to move and you know he had a family and all that and he's like you know i've had this bike for a long time took great care of it and you know so 
I went up there and got it, but yeah, I've loved it ever since. It's got the, uh, it's got, it's got 250 rear tires, so not the big 330 or 360 or 330, but it's, you know, it's got fat tire on the back and, you know, I just love it. Yeah. So that's hard to ride. It is a <laughs> tough thing to ride because you're sitting about where the axle is with that drop seat. That well, back tire comes halfway up your back. So it's like, it, it I've had to kind of quit riding it where I'm living right now in the middle of town because the potholes just getting everywhere. I've rattled my teeth loose a couple of times. Yeah. When you have a, when you have a rigid chopper, something that people don't know is you get to know where every single bump in your town is, where every single <laughs> oh, pothole is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's, yeah. So that thing's, it's, it's kind of tough. You got to get that thing. It's, it's, it's uh, raked out pretty good. So you got to get it rolling to where that front, you know, sure. If you're running, low that front doesn't really have much you know those forks aren't really taking much off either because they're raked out so far so they're almost rigid up there you gotta get going about 60 miles an hour for that front you know break to even take any impact really so yeah but when you get that thing out on the open road and you're on the highway and you get that thing up to speed nothing oh. on the planet rides like a chopper nope you went to people talk about like bmws where you can feel the road and stuff you know and that's why they love them and I always say if you ride bikes, yeah, you gotta you gotta at least try a, a hardtail. Yeah, you can feel the inside of the engine when you ride a hardtail if you're doing it right. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's for sure. So let, let's talk a little bit about Nashville. That's your home now. I mean, you know, you're from yeah. Roanoke originally, but that that's where your home is now. And I was thinking about this earlier because I went out for when I got to work this morning. Um I took out one of my favorite bikes is my 1998 Sportster. I've got a Sportster 1200S, little hot rod, you know, two into one pipe. And I took that out and went for a ride, clear my head this morning. And I started thinking about it. And, you know, um, Nashville has always been, um, well, since probably the late fifties, uh, is, you know, cause I know that there was some, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'm a music historian, but more on the side of the rock and roll side of things. So there were sun records in Memphis and then, you know, the outlaw country scene is definitely in Opryland. That's all there in, in Nashville. Yeah. But I started thinking about things and that how different I think the country music scene is. And I know that you, you know, you delve into, in the, in the, the side of things, it's more blues and more rock than just like old school country. And, and I don't mean that in any disparaging way, because I love a good old school country song and, and i know that you have the ability you know most of the guys and gals in nashville you know, you'll hear that in some of their music at least if not all in some part of some song but you know yeah. they used to call nashville you know uh nash vegas and i started thinking mm -hmm. about it and I, I i think i've coined a new term where it's nash angeles because so many people are moving from the west to the east now and there's this big migration they talk about you've got guys um, you got crossover artists, uh, working out of Nashville. You guys, guys, guys like Jack White and you've got, um, mm -hmm. guys like struggle and you've got guys like jelly roll. And then you've got, you know, yeah. uh, you even have, you know, what I would consider more mainstream commercial country, you know, the Luke Bryant's, the Eric churches and those guys. And I don't mean that in any disparaging way at all. That's not necessarily my jam, but, um, you know, they're, they're, those are Nashville based artists. Where does it it used to be you could go down there and or go up there, depending on where you're from, and and get in them bars and make music and make a name for yourself. Can you still do that? Um, the downtown scene has kind of changed a little bit. The last person to really 
that played downtown that made it out to my knowledge um was uh i think it was uh craig campbell is that yeah yeah so that was the guy that was the last one that's to my knowledge like i say that is kind of you know just climbed their way out but i always look at it if you're playing the right bars yeah yeah so there's midtown and you can go over there most of those are original kind of you know writers circles though so that's you know it's a whole different story than playing covers you know and just trying to do the covers the best you can and hoping that somebody hears you in comparison to what you're singing and that original artists and they're like whoa that's something you know that we could you know put some original music behind so that kind of formula isn't really there anymore but as far as yeah you, you know you write your songs you go over you know you do some showcases play some play some writers rounds you know just get in with the with the right groups you know or some people that fit you and you know and start making waves and then that's you know it's kind of how how it's done now it's more of a t sport for sure but it sounds very different than than the way people describe things happening in in rock and roll and in metal and what do you what do you attribute that to is it is it really different or is there just a more of a a, a microscope on the the nashville song because everybody talks about the songwriting circles you know you have guys like chris campbell or chris campbell chris stapleton that that was well known and, and and highly regarded for writing music for other people and, and i can't think of any right off the top of my head other other artists but i i know some some country artists i knew um i used to hang out with whitey back when his name when everybody called him eric and he painted cars for a guy named ronnie duke uh back wow. when when whitey morgan was uh, whitey morgan of the way cross georgia farm boy so i knew him before he broke and there was something about the way he conducted themselves himself and something about the way he played that you just kind of had this feeling it was going to happen if if it was possible so is it different for country or does it just seem different for country um i'd say that that same thing is, applies i always look at downtown people you know nowadays the thing is to rag on downtown like you know you get stuck down there or the money's the money is enough to keep you afloat in town so you never really but you got to work at it you know a lot and so you never really break out once you're down there and all that i always looked at it as like still going to school i was you know me and my dad talked about it. it's like grad school for me you sure. know and that's where you know you just you get to play as much as you want you know if you got the you know if you can if you know the right songs if you have the set list and you know and pull it off right then you can do like triples or quads all day, 12, 16 hour days if you want down there. And you want to talk about learning stuff quick. I, I was mean, just like going to say the lessons fast by yep. doing that. And again, there's no better teacher than doing, you know, especially with playing in front of people. I think, you know, there's no substitute for that. So I, I think it's invaluable. I highly recommend folks go downtown and play in the just the old honky tonks you know and just get that experience under their belt and you know you sit in front of people for 12 hours a day with 15 minute breaks between every four hour shift that's a that's a you're coming out of that day a different person than you started and you're gonna learn some a lot even if no matter how many thousands of hours you have under your belt so that's why i on town even though i mean it's it's really a huge Odds definitely aren't in your favor for getting picked up and, and, you know, furthering your career per se down there. But it's in terms of getting better and in terms of being a better entertainer and learning. And I also like to, be, I mean, I believe that there's, it's logical that there's, 
it's a better fan building tool than traveling the country. I've been in bands. I've, I've never done as my own artist, but I've, as being my own artist, but I've, I've done it with bands where we just go and play, you know, every, any little town. And, you know, we try to, you know, if we were going to Chicago for the weekend, you know, we'd hit up, you know, little, little college towns in Illinois or, you know, Indiana on the way up and then hit them all back, hit some different ones on the way back down or, you know, just routing dates. And I always believed, you know, you're playing the folks that that's their local bar. Maybe they're not in the music, you know, maybe they're there to hang out, you know, maybe they're, they're there to hang out with their friends and stuff and play pool or something. And so you're only picking up maybe one or two or, you know, maybe 30 or 40 folks, you know, at those gigs, but downtown Nashville, I feel like it's a little bit more of that's what people go down there for, right? They're down there to catch music, to catch a rising star, to see somebody that they're going to say, Hey, I saw that guy back when he was, was playing. Do you remember the first time that you sat down at a bar or honky tonk in Nashville and, and did your first set that day? Do you remember what that day was like? Yeah. Yeah. It was at, um, the first, so I sat in with a bunch of folks. That's kind of how you get going. That's how you get the ball rolling. As you know, you just got to walk around be like, Hey, you know, usually do it on Tuesday or Wednesday when, when it's the most dead. And then you, you know, crowd wise, and then you want to, you know, see if you can sit in with a band, you know, play lead guitar, do something, you know, sing a song or two. And, and then they, um, so yeah, but I've got my first gig at benchmark downtown on second avenue and that was where i first started playing and uh i played there for you know over nine years and then they recently just shut down so after the after the christmas after the event two christmases ago so they uh you know where that rv and all that yeah oh yeah i forgot about that couldn't quite get it back you know rolling and all that and it was just too much of a too much you know in or yeah it was going to cost a little too much to get everything back rolling again for him so that's but anyway that was yeah benchmark i mean that place was my home that's where i started and it was a it was a really a special place for me and that was kind of you know it was the little neighborhood bar you know all the regulars sure we were a tight-knit you know group of musicians that all worked there you know so that was kind of cool and yeah that was that was my first spot and yeah it was it was a lot of fun every gig i played i probably played over a thousand times in there over the over the nine years and each time was just equally as you know fun and that's uh that there's a lot of people that work the same the same situation for for nine mm-hmm. years and don't get to say that that's a you you seem to be um you seem to have a tremendous amount of gratitude for for the for the life that you have and for yep. for being able to play music what do you you know i know what your professional you know, the musicians, you, you can definitely tell in your music that you are an Allman Brothers fan and that you are, you know, that you're definitely, there's some, there's some heavy guitar in there. So I would have to say that you orbit somewhere in the, in the Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page kind of deal. He he had a unique tone to his guitar that, that, uh, or has still has a unique tone to his guitar that, um, is often emulated and and repurposed in, in good, good ways in music. But inside your, you know, you grew up on a farm. So where did music, where were you introduced to music the first time? So my dad was a professional musician on the East Coast. He was based out of Roanoke, but he was in a band called The Kings, and they were, you know, they had some original music out there. But they they did those just mega clubs back in the you know seventies and eighties and stuff, where you know it, 
some of these clubs were like the size of Lowe's, Dad likes to say, and I, right. you know, in all these little college towns where the drinking age was 18 for beer, you know, so every, that was what all these little towns did was they all just had a huge club and, you know, so they went around tour and playing those. So. And he was in the era of, you know, he was that eighties kind of thing. They were kind of more of a, like Michael Jackson, but then they'd do ACDC and then they'd, you know, they'd cover some Zeppelin, that kind of stuff. They were just a big party band and they ran from New York down to, you know, the tip of Florida. And that was kind of the, their stomping ground. So anyway, that was my upbringing. And, you know, dad quit, he quit playing music to, uh, to start a family. And like I say, I was the, I'm the oldest of my family. So kind of thank him for that. You know, he took a sacrifice and he kind of, you know, quit quit being on the road as much so you could start a family and start working at the post office, you know, full time and all that. And <laughs> I always appreciate that. But he so, yeah, I had music. We had guitars and pianos and, you know, and bass guitars. We had a drum kit. We had a little it wasn't really up and running at the time because we, you know, dad hadn't really used it. But we had a studio in the basement that was fully, you know, fully done. It, you know, it was a professional job. So I was, you know, that was just kind of, you know, up until I was seven when I started playing piano, it was just, you know, they just laid around. I'd pick one up and just, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and dad would show me a chord, but I was still a little too young, you know, to really grasp it. Sure. But, so I was off and on again until I was 11 with guitar. But like I say, I started piano when I was seven and had a great piano teacher. And my dad's an awesome keyboard player and piano player as well. So so he kind of taught me, you know, how to how to like, do the uh where they called like ghost notes or the uh like bend the notes you know like kind of how uh you know like ray charles style you know on okay. piano around a whirly and they um and then my actual piano teacher was like teaching me you know all the classical stuff and she'd always <laughs> she couldn't stand it when i'd come in there and start playing kind of some ray charles licks but <laughs> But anyway, so. yeah, they want they, the the uh, the instructors. Uh, the instructors always want you to stick to the rudiments, right? They she wants right. you to stick to your scales and you know your and and just keep building from that. And you have the tendency. I mean, I think anybody that is a talented artist, whether no matter what the medium is, whether you're a painter or you're a singer or you're a, a musician or even you know even in the motorcycle industry, the guys that are building the the most clever motorcycles are the ones that they don't color inside the lines. And I think there's a, there's a real important thing there to not coloring inside the lines. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I'd say, you know, and you want to be a sponge and you want to learn. That was something my dad really, you know, kind of helped me with, you know, he was like, he was like, you know, basically like color inside using your analogy, color inside the lines until you really have a clear definition of the lines and then go crazy. You know, he's like, but so many people get lost in that wanting to be unique at the very beginning. And then they don't, you know, learn the songs and they don't take the time to learn songs. That, you know, the, I don't know they don't give, they don't really build on what came before, you know, like you got to understand what came before and then build on top of it is I think, you know, the best way to say it. But that was a big thing, you know, dad was like, he was like, you know, he's like, learn this Van Halen, you know, note for note. He was like, just, he was like, try it. And then, you know, right. a month later, go through the, you know, a month later, I was, you know, we'd go through the whole CD, you know, and then I'd be playing them all. And he'd be like, all right, now, what'd you learn from that? I'm like, okay, and now, now noodle around, see what, see what those, you know, techniques you learned, see what they did and see what you're here, you know, like, 
now now put your ear on color and outside the lines like you were saying so that's a that's actually i've never heard anybody articulate uh music uh proficiency and learning in in that in that way and that that makes a whole lot of sense because i think some kids get discouraged when i know i did i tried i've tried to play the guitar when i was a kid when i was 10 and then I, again when i was 12 and then again when i was 16 and then i was like okay this is just never going to happen i even bought one in my 20s you know once i started having kids i'm like okay i need a hobby that i can do here in the house while i can watch the kid over there doing something and not leave the house right and i just I, my brain cannot get my hand to do anything uh, substantive on a guitar. But when you talk to somebody like yourself that that obviously, you know, it was almost, you almost, I almost feel like people are kind of born into music, uh, musicianship and, and performance arts uh, of those types of things. And, you know, your dad was a huge influence on you and you've got, you know, obviously inside of your music, you can hear some of the other influences. But talk to me a little bit about kind of, I always I always admire the the time between um, junior high and the end of high school when I have some other friends that are professional musicians uh, that they're you know they're really 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 successful and in super huge bands and so when I talk to them about what their high school was it's not that it's not always that different than what everybody else's was and it's always just amazing to me that at some point in time they they hit hit a note and they go into the stratosphere. What was your, what was your adolescence like leading up to the time when you, cause you left, you left home in, in 2012 to go to Nashville. Right. So what was it like yeah. in, in kind of the high school and junior high years? Um, in middle school. So I've, I've been blessed. I've, I've had the same like group of friends, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very loyal to them and vice versa and all that. So we've always, you know, always had a group and had bands, you know, from the time we were, you know, the drummer, my best friend Ty, you know, we've had groups since we were 13, you know, just playing, you know, just getting age. He started playing drums at that age whenever I started playing guitar a few years before. And so that was a huge thing to have a friend group that was actually, you know, like your tightest friend group was also having the same hobbies, you know, so that, that helped me from becoming that person, because there is a stereotype, you know, to get good at music, you know, I mean, a lot of killer guitar players and any instrument, you know, to get that level, you're sitting in your room, all those, you know, formative years for, you know, short of going to school, you know, you're spending every hour of your day just immersed in it. And there's a ton of folks that don't have much, um, well, aren't able to communicate very well, you know, they just never develop those skills. And you can see it sometimes. And, you know, respect that because you know what they were woodshedding for so long. I never thought about but that. But that's a good kid point. In middle school, I was, I mean, I was, I'd come straight home. If we didn't have, you know, a little band practice or something, then I was down in the basement and, you know, just, or up, you know, up in my room and just, I mean, just playing for hours on end, just loving it, you know, discovering something new every hour is basically, you know, or, or like I was saying earlier, you know, just woodshedding to get a part down that I was trying to learn and, and then, you know, expanding on it from there. So that was, that was the first, that was probably up until about 10th grade. I was just die hard, you know, had long hair in middle school, which wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very fun. But, you know, that was, so yeah, look back on that, but glad I did it, you know, I sure. definitely put in the work on that. And I got getting cut out there in the country with long hair and, you know, 
as a 14 year old was tough, but, but we, uh, yeah. So then high school started and when my family kind of sat down with me whenever I was 14, around 14 and, you know, my dad got me a guitar for Christmas and, you know, he was, he was kind of like, they kind of sat me down. They were like, look, you know, they were like, we do this. You know, you're, my dad was like, I, I can hear you. He was like, you're on a path. He was like, I mean, he's like, you should be shooting for Nashville. I know it's a long, you know, and, and once you graduate or once you get out of college, like, you know, you should probably move to a major music hub city. Really? You know, if you want this as a career. And now I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good idea. That would be my dream. And he was like, well, yeah, well, let's lay this out then, you know, let's, let's plan, you know, you'll, you'll go to community college after you graduate high school. And then, you know, from there we, you can do a two year program and by that, you know, to get your, your bachelor's. And then from that point I was, yeah. So, I mean, then he was like, you'll have, you know, everybody in the family, they were like, you'll have our blessing, you know, and, you know, we'll encourage you either way. But dad was like, if you want to do it the smart way, he was like, just do this for us. So we don't have to worry about, you know, he's like, I know how, up and down this business is he was like just do this so that you'll have a, you know some type of fallback and really do you know that that is a um i don't know i mean i'm, I'm sure you, you know you're around professional musicians just like i'm around professional motorcycle guys and so we have those conversations right i can remember my parents coming to me and tell me like you do not want to be a mechanic you just we absolutely you know you don't want to be a mechanic you've got to do something different you've got to do something different and i'm like no that's what i want to do and i relented and did i did something different for a long time and uh, and ended up right where i think i was supposed to be and and i get i'm i'm very you know i look back on it and i'm like jesus you know if, if i could have just gotten them to let me or to support me doing this when I, when I thought it was a good thing, uh, or when I knew it was a good thing, when I was a young, younger kid, I probably would be further ahead. And, and you, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but you're very fortunate to be surrounded by family that, that not only have the ability to identify that, cause they're obviously not wrong, but to tell you that you had the support. I mean, that's something that you, you hear people oh, talk about it all incredibly. the time that they don't, yeah. they don't get. And so that's an amazing thing that your parents had enough, uh, forethought to see that and not only see that and identify it, but to let you know that they had your back on the decision you made that, that, that must've been something that must've given you an extra level of confidence inside your head, knowing that you were going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was just, cause that was the goal then. So that way, you know, through those days in middle school or in high school, you know, where I wasn't, you know, hanging out with friends, you know, all that. And part of me really wanted to, you know, part of me wanted to be the popular kid and all that. But he was like, that's what kind of just, he was like, you know, like that carrot on the stick is, is still a ways out there, man. Focus on what you're, what you're really going to do, you know, and, and all that. And that kept me, you know, kept my nose to the grindstone on it. And, that's a, that's a good analogy. So you did go to, I'm, I'm assuming you went to community college and then did a two year kind mm -hmm. of deal. So your, your degree, yeah. what is your degree in? In English, just a traditional English English degree, and plan was if you know if I was if I got booted out of town, you know I'd I'd go into maybe like you know law or something like that, or being a writer more, you know, anything. I, I just wanted something that was a baseline kind of you know program. To yeah, that's not build. a bad choice. That's not a bad choice. So, you 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 let's talk about your writing because um you know obviously 
your management company gave me a little bit of, you know, some of your bio stuff and that. And I know that you're, you have, I, this is your first release coming out that that's, that's yours, right? That's your, you know, that talk a little bit about the arc of your career and what happens when you decide one day, or was it a long period of time where you're like, you know what, I want to be a solo artist. I want to be known as, uh, as the, the singer songwriter that I believe deep down that I am and, and talk a little bit about that and then, and then take us to, to where we're at with this release. Um, I'd say it took me a while to reach a an old uh, an old friend that runs a studio back in in Roanoke, uh, Skip Brown. He he told us when we were teenagers, you know, me and the band, my buddies. He was like, you know, you're gonna reach your musical maturity at some point, and you'll know it. You know, it's whenever you it's the stuff that you'll listen to for the rest of your life that never gets old. And, you know, I feel like, and I always kept that in the back of my mind. I was like, man, I like this song right now, but I can just tell it's, it's not going to be me in a while. And so I wrote a bunch of songs like that. I do have some, some songs that will be out on the EP coming out in the summer that I wrote a while back, but only a handful, only two, I think I'll be releasing. But so with that being said, yeah, I mean, the arc of my career, I came to town and kind of, I became a lead guitar player for a band and uh and just you know a hired gun for other bands and stuff you know if they need sub work or just you know putting together a band for a couple shows and so i did that for the first six years and i kind of missed doing the acoustic thing but solo and i always always kept my tuesday nights at benchmark i always had those but i wanted to do a little more of that and kind of be my own boss again and mm -hmm. you know book the shows and be able to call the set list and do that kind of stuff and and not just sing backups and a couple lead songs a day or a night, you know. And so I was uh, so I veered back into that world a little more, and then from there, then it was just kind of you know when the shutdown happened in the quarantine, it was you know a lot of folks started writing again, and I started building a little studio and with some of my friends out here, some of my really good friends, and we um, started doing demos for people while everybody was writing during the pandemic, and then we uh. You know, it kind of when everything started back up again, you know, folks kind of quit writing as much. And I was like, well, I'd still like to, you know, I was really loving the studio thing and producing songs and engineer and being an engineer on these tracks and, you know, and also being a musician on them. And I was like, I think I, you know, I'll just keep writing songs and that way we'll get our reps in, you know. Sure. We won't. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah. So that's when I would start writing. That's when Cannonball came to be and a bunch of these other songs was just right after that kind of during the pandemic and whenever i had enough time to kind of think and go about you know what what do i want to say and i mean the time is now you know we've kind of i've been chomping at the bit a little bit in terms of you know the last couple of years like i know i gotta get something out there i'm like the time is now but it was just never the i don't know i never had the right song never had the right collection of songs and so would you say that when you're when you're putting all those pieces together, right, that you have to have the perfect storm, right? Um, there's when you go back and look like um, at some of the very first albums that some some bands have put out that have just been absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, bands like Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. I mean, that is a very hard album to find any any flaws oh, yeah. in, right? I mean, that's almost as perfect an album as you can get led zeppelin's um you know led zeppelin one is 
for all intents and purposes, sure. one of the most perfect albums. If you're a rock and roll guy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a, it's a perfect album. Um, you know, Derek and the dominoes, that is probably right. Layla's probably one of the most, um, perfect songs ever written and performed. And, you know, and I, and in the thing that, that always catches me about Layla is the fact that that wouldn't, that song could never happen without Dwayne Allman in mm-hmm. the, in the way that it was. And proof of that is when Eric re-released it, it was, it was kind of an acoustic kind of piece. And right. so when you look at, when you look at those kinds of albums, where do you, I mean, cause I'm sure as somebody that's uh, you seem to be a pretty high order thinker, you, you probably disseminate some of that stuff out and kind of take it apart to learn those pieces and parts. Cause you talk about woodshedding and, and learning and, you know, and, and repetition, right? Mm-hmm. What do you, oh, yeah. How does that perfect storm occur? How does, how does a band have an album like an appetite or a Led Zeppelin one? I mean, what is it? What, what is the one thing that you think all those bands had when, when they have that? It's, I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's the energy that they have behind them. It's exciting. You know, they're, they're the first, is the first release, you know, is the new band. And that brings so much to it, I think. And, um, you know, just new ideas. And even if the ideas, you know, I wonder what, you know, if, if some of the, you know, the Appetite for Destruction songs, if those would have been on the, like, third, you know, or on, like, Use Your Illusion, would Slash have still been playing them with the animosity, you know, or just the, you know, grit that he was? Sure. I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure he would because it's Slash, but, you know, using that as an example. But, but you know, I mean, that's, um, yeah, in terms of, I'd say it's mostly just the energy and, and being fresh, you know, that's such a huge part. And again, that, that energy just snowballs, you know, you get a good track, you know, get a good song down. It's like, oh, well, we can do even better on the next one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep, keep rolling with it here. So, yeah, I think it's just the momentum of, of those, you know, first, first releases. And then, and then there are those bands, you know, that kind of taper off. I don't want to bring up any examples. Well, no, but, but I mean, know, everybody's got, them. you brought up Use Your Illusion. Use Your Illusion is a very, it didn't taper off, but it's a very different set of songs. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 is a very different set of songs, a very different kind of energy than what Appetite was. So the right. reason why I brought that up is because Use Your Illusion is a very different set of songs and a very different energy, right? than what mm-hmm. what appetite was so appetite for destruction really kind of to me and and it's such a good example of a, a a band's arc very different that if you look at the arc of any band that's been around for a long time they've tried new things right so there's some it, it's a little got to be a little scary right to go into the studio and try something completely new oh yeah that's got to be i mean it's yeah, so like I say, I'm still on step one here of, you know, of getting the first ones out. But I always imagine, like, you know, that's something I keep in mind. It's like, well, you know, where do you want this to grow to? And, you know, and what's your in, you know, I mean, where where do you see it? What direction do you see it moving towards? And that's a tough question that, you know, that changes just about every week. You know, it's you hear something new on the radio and you're like, oh, I want to incorporate that into my yeah, really hear that. Like, I want to use something like that, you know, in a song somewhere. And that'll just skew the picture just a little bit, you know, percentage the other way. You know, you just go through life like that. So that's. When you write a new song, how where does it? 
I, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in this. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of stand-up comics talk about the way they write. How do you write? Mm -hmm. do, you, do, you, do you come up with a melody, then come up with words, or do you come up with words, and then all of a sudden a melody pops in your head, and you're like, oh my gosh, I could use those over here. What is your process? Usually, I, it comes from a guitar riff, and then from that guitar riff, it just says something. That you know, I'm usually I just kind of clear my mind. Usually, I put on my headphones, my my recording headphones that I use, and they're pretty. You know, they they're closed back, so they're they close me off from the world pretty good. And I sit there in silence and just kind of just think about it for as long as I can. And you know, and then you know, it usually as I'm you know just fooling around playing guitar riffs and stuff if something catches my ear there's a reason why it caught my ear and there's like a feeling behind it to begin with so you just have to capture what that feeling was and then kind of try to find words to explain it you know because they're like with cannonball that you know that da -da, da -da 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 -da. i was like that kind of sounds like an engine and something kind of rolling out of control down a hill and i was like i wonder okay well yeah you could make a song about a car just you know out running the police coming down a <laughs> right twisty, you know, and i mean which is definitely that's an indelible mark left in the dna of somebody who grew up in the part of the country that you grew up in because that's yeah. like an actual real thing that you know god knows you know who who in your in your lineage would or would not have been chased down <laughs> down a mountain by, by a, a, right, a patrol right. car right um one of the quotes that I've, I've seen that you said is music is therapy. It's the oldest language on earth. It speaks to us in ways we don't even recognize. In all of my songs, I try to create a journey that leaves the listener in a different place than they were before they heard it. Um, is this a, is that a, a, a kind of an homage to your writing process or an homage to how you want your listeners to your, your fans to walk away from, from your shows and, and from listening to your music? Um, that's probably for my, from my shows, I'd, I'd say, cause that's kind of how I'd like to approach it as a listener and, you know, being an Allman Brothers fanatic, that was kind of the, you know, that's what they do to you. That's what all the great bands do, you know, is they, they appeal to something that you didn't even know you were listening for. And then they, and then they leave you, you know, you always leave a great concert, just drop, but you also feel like you went a little bit deeper into your, you know, like just your subconscious, something was brought out or something like that, you know, and have you ever been, right word have, are, but have you ever been to a concert that you, that you got to by accident? And I, this happened to me. So where you, you got to the concert by accident, either through someone's like, Hey, listen, I have tickets for this band, blah, blah, blah. You want to go over here and you didn't have anything better to do. And you go there and you walk away and you're like, Holy shit, I'm a fan for life now yeah um, who was it i don't know i've always been kind of always known a lot about the bands that with dad being there to curate a lot of the you know music for me and then also all these just random set lists i've had to learn over the years i've always kind of known some good bands you know i've known kind of what i like just from people like recommending it over the years you know they've like so i never really had very much mystery with the type of music i play in terms of like finding on that new band and stuff but i randomly hawked tickets or whatever the word is you know sure. I, I illegally bought a ticket <laughs> at our wristband we were true we were touring up through we were on a three week three week run like through ohio and we were in chicago 
two weeks in so he had another week to go i was just you know kind of going crazy you know it's like i had some friends up from nashville that were going to Lollapalooza, and then by that point all the tickets were sold out and they're so expensive and anyway i found that i found somebody standing outside the gate that gave me a wristband which everything was just plastered on every wall around there it was like hey you can't rebuy wristbands they're right. linked to your name you know all this and anyway found a way in you know that's a long story but got in and randomly ran across his band phoenix who my girlfriend and i had listened to back in the day but i'd never you know it was always more her cup of tea and i was kind of like you know i just focused, you know i was never really like listening hard to them and they were playing one of the main stages that night i was just i was blown away it was an all-time just it was probably the closest thing to that i've ever oh that's what i was looking for i was looking for a nugget i just wrote that band's name down because yeah. i'm always trying to find new stuff that i didn't know existed i'm trying to find you know trying to dig deeper and and try to learn about i, I one of the things that i always do is i i like to learn about the band that I'm listening to and you try to figure out, you know, where, what's the muse, where, where's the inspiration coming from? You know, like for you, it's like I'll, I'll now know that, you know, that you are a multi-generational musician and that you had a lot of support from, from inside your family. And so I feel like that allows you to be more dangerous with the things that you write about. I think that allows you to be more free with uh, how you play your instrument. And so for me, I'll always have that in the back of my mind, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, when I hear a Ross Flora album or a song or hear you on something, I'm like, I will be able to go, you know, you can get there. You can get to where he's at because of what you had here. And it's, it's so important that people i think it's lost on a lot of people like i wanted my kids i just want my kids to be happy when they grow up i don't care what it is that makes them happy as long as it's healthy but i want them to be happy and that you know you sound like that happiness was never something you had to search for that you had already found it and so you just had to nurture it and you had to work on it yeah yeah it was i mean it started out as you know i wanted to do something you know just you know looking up to my dad and, you know i mean it definitely kind of the early years of doing or not even years just the early months of like playing guitar i was like you know that's something me and dad can do me and dad we always rode dirt bikes we never had like a lack of things to you know of like hobbies that we shared he was it was always great you know we went through a fishing year we went through a you know we've gone through just about all the hobbies <laughs> you know and like I say dirt bikes was always a huge one and harley riding but before i was able to drive those but but yeah, so like music was kind of one of those things. I was like, well, man, dad loves doing this. And, you know, it's, he's always really good at it. I wonder, you know, I'd like to, you know, see my hand at it and see what he sees in it. And, you know, so that's kind of where it started. But And you still have your dad with you now? Yes, yes. That's so awesome. Uh, at, yeah, he's coming out to record some stuff with me on uh, the 30th of this month at Blackbird. So I'll be a... Uh, I was super stoked. I was like, man, I got an opportunity to record at this legendary studio. I was like, there's no other keyboard player, you know, I'd want, and, you know, piano and B3 player. So that's like, yeah. awesome. That is, that is awesome. So, uh, I'm, I'm assuming I'm it may, hopefully not incorrectly that you are going to be traveling around in support of your EP and, 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 uh, you have the release date uh, for cannonball comes out on April 8th. Of the, which is yeah. going to be in, in three days from today. We're recording this on the 5th. Um, are you going to mm -hmm. be supporting this with any kind of a tour? 
right now we're going to wait until the ep comes out and then so this is kind of the yeah this will be the i guess blaze the trail and sure you now it'll kind of set the set the trail and then we'll, we're going to release the ep hopefully right now we're shooting for middle of june awesome like second weekend of june I, think, I believe so uh whatever that friday would land on but so that's where we're hoping to release a you know six song ep and then from there you know i'd love to do i'd really like to do a festival circuit and in the fall if possible but if if you know if it's a little too late then we'll be definitely out doing the festival thing in the next spring right. and then of course you know i'll be out you know doing some club dates and are you are you still performing like on a daily basis in in and around nashville right now and in and if so where at where where can people see you right now so right now um i do thursday friday saturday nights at cerveza jacks on second avenue okay from from six to nine basically the each night and then sundays i have two to six with another artist cash crawford who is just she's an amazing singer and she's also with a dead horse here so she'll be releasing some music soon as well and we have we have a gig at luke bryan's club on the sunday and monday nice. so every every day, monday two to six so so you i mean this is this is something that uh, a lot of people i think a lot of people think they know about this but they they probably don't understand that a working musician in nashville in and around nashville is somebody that is actually i mean you are pounding the pavement you are putting in the hours mm -hmm. you're putting in the reps like you said earlier and you know this is you put your time into the woodshed and now you're out you're out you know, doing and, and, and promoting. And I'm, I'm assuming you're playing some cover songs, playing some originals, playing with other people and doing some jam stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah, that those are my set gigs right now. And then like, say, you know, you get calls, I get two or three calls a week just for, you know, Hey, like I need a sub today, man. Like, or, you know, whatever. Or, hey, are you available? I'll try I'm trying to pick up this shift and, you know, so you, you know, and then you can pick and choose with those, but I've done as many as, I was up to 14 gigs a week, four hour shows a week, um, before the shutdown for the two. So in 2018 and 2019, those were over 650 gig years for me. Wow. That's awesome. Which I was real proud of, you know, which isn't, you know, only a few people really care about, you know, I was just basically doing it for me. But no, I, but I mean, I can definitely say on a four hour, the four time, that's a, I mean, that's a full, that's more than a full time job. A regular, a regular guy, gal working 40 hours a week for a year, that's yep. 2,080 hours. So let me ask you this. So everybody uh, talks about, not everybody, but a lot of people talk about the 10,000 hour rule. Are you aware of the 10,000 hour, hour rule? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Ten, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're 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 a Malcolm Gladwell fan and, and you agree with that? Mm-hmm, I do. And so when you see, when you see younger people coming up, I mean, I'm sure they come up to you and you probably cross paths with lots of, lots of newer, younger musicians. What, what is the advice that you give besides the, you know, just to keep trying and keep going and that, but I mean, did, did people ever come up to you with, with like real questions like, Hey, how do you do X, Y, or Z? And, 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 or is it just kind of like, how, how is the, the community of people that are coming up under you? How is that? How is that fostered? Um, if I would give any advice, uh, it, it, 
kind of echo what my dad said, which would be find a way to get out and do it. Um, structure your practices, you know, where you're, you know, ultimately, you know, if we're talking about that 10,000 hour rule, I mean, there is somewhere in that, in that range where something clicks and it did for me. And it, uh, it has on several levels. I mean, I think I'm, I've, I've felt that click a couple times in my career where it's just, you know, like vocally it happened where I was, you know, when I was about, uh, I want to say like 16 or so. And I just, I realized how I sing from my chest and, but, and then it's happened on guitar a couple times, you know, where I'm just like, oh, like that's what it just, you know, the clouds part. And it's like, that's what that saying means. Like, okay, know what not to play. Oh, okay. But I'd say structure your practices because um, you, the more you do it, the more you're, you know, the further along you're going to get and the more interesting it becomes. But the more it also becomes harder to take that next step, you know, it's like, going from level one to level two is easy going from level, you know, 90 to 91. It takes a lot more work to get climb that next step because everything's so much more technical. And that's, that's where a, you want to get is to, is to smoothing out that last like five percentile on whatever you will become. You know, you always want to be working on smoothing that out. And you know, that's, that's where the lifetime of never getting there comes in play which is awesome yeah so. i mean you you know if you never if you never settle then you always have a new goal to work on right mm -hmm. right yeah and the, the road never ends i mean it's there's always some new you know new route you can take and you know new thing new you know principle you can explore when it comes to music so that's this is probably a silly question but you know I would imagine that at some point in time you thought, wow, if I can just learn to play this song and then you learn to play that song. And if I can just learn to sing really well, then you learn to sing really well. And then if I can just, if I can just get done with community college so I can go to Nashville, then you do that. And so what is the next thing? Is there, do you still, do you still, are you goal oriented in that way? Or are you goal oriented and you're going to take the opportunities that come to you that make the most sense? Or do you, do you look, how far down the road do you look and say, you know, gosh, if I could get a, if I can get a tour bus and a, and a this, and if I can play this and, and, you know, is that how it works, you know, in your brain or you just, you get up every day, put one foot in front of the other and, and be thankful for what you have? Uh, yeah, I mean, an equal balance of both, I'd say. And it's, um, you know, like you got to stay, if this is going to be your future, you know, if music is, there's very little, like it, it dumps people in old age pretty hard. You know, that's the, that's the problem, you know, like at some point you just get too old to do it. And a lot of folks, you know, they never really saved up or, you know, they never, they don't have much to retire with. And yeah, I always keep that in mind. I've always been financially kind of oriented in that, in that way, like been a saver, you know, just since I was a little kid on the farm and, you know, and, so I've, I've kind of, I've always got that view ahead of me where I'm like, Hey, like I want to do this. I mean, grant if, I mean, knock on wood, if my fingers don't, you know, arthritis up and I can't, you know, until I'm 80, you know, would be sure. my team, you know, and even if it were just playing downtown in clubs or anywhere in clubs, you know, I'd probably move to a beach at some point if I didn't get famous, <laughs> but yeah, you know, somewhere around, somewhere around like 45, 50, I'd, I'd move to a beach somewhere, but but they, um, yeah. So, and then the other part is, yeah, focusing on every day and being present and, you know, I mean, you never know who's in the crowd. You never know. That's what's so fun and also exhausting. And, 
about you know playing in town here is just those opportunities are always just you know they're always floating around in this town and so but you can't that's tough to plan on the first couple of years i was down here i was like okay i was like if i really hustle and that was a big part of why i did so many gigs in those years in 2018 2019 i was like man if i really really hustle and if i really prove you know just to the to whoever's watching you know then something something will happen and things did happen from that and i, I learned a lot and met some insanely you know some great people that have led me to where i'm at now but that's kind of they'll drive you crazy if you just keep on thinking like all right today's the day today's the day there's gonna be somebody there you know have if you really can you tell me about on that on that point where you said you know you never know where someone you know who's in the crowd and that can you tell me about a situation where you've either been on stage or been in the studio and you're 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 working you're not you're not watching you're not you know you're actually doing doing your craft and you looked over and there was somebody standing next to you that you never thought you'd be next to or somebody in the crowd watching you and giving you an affirmation that you never thought would watch you i mean is is there ever been a moment like that where where you were just like holy smokes i don't believe this is happening i gotta pinch myself or are you still waiting for that moment to happen and it, and, and if it if it hasn't happened it, it's cool i just mean like you know there has if there was a, an, ever a moment where you're like oh my gosh this is this is it I, I, if nothing else happens i'm okay yeah i've had a i've had a couple good experiences like that not quite the dream ones you know but i've had some i've, I've watched some really uh some killer like session guitar players that i mm -hmm. know but nobody else knows them you know so they can remain incognito and it's like right they'll come in they'll sit down and i'll be like you know and you never want to acknowledge it you know so i'll just i'll be like i know who you are like good day <laughs> man and then then you know you either you know they'll take it to a whole nother level you're playing you know so then you're like oh well i mean it's time to show everything i have here and you know does that happen where you're like sometimes uh, you know i i worked on a a friend of mine uh was a is a is a professional drummer in a, in a giant rock band and he's also a bike builder and he came here before daytona and we spent the last week and a half uh, before daytona this year building a bike that is just absolutely amazing and i found that the two of us working together collaboratively we did some amazing things in a short period of time do, nice. do you find that that happens musically for you guys as well yes definitely there's um yeah if you meet up with the right folks and i've, I've kind of learned to ask somebody where they're from for for more than just getting to know them you know it's like yeah. all right if you're from the east coast specifically the middle atlantic you know area so that's where my drummer and you know, my, my buddy Jeremy, he's from Raleigh, North Carolina. So we both have the same kind of like regional influences and stuff. So we always, you know, we hit it off pretty immediately. Just it's like, okay. Like, and then, you know, but you meet some folks I've, I've played with some like Seattle folks, you know, and no influences the same really at all. Like in terms of mid major coming up, you know, sure. putting our teeth in bars and stuff. And, and then, you know, it brings out something completely different in you, you know, when you're playing and you them, you know. So that's always that's that's a huge part of why I love town is because there's so many people that you can just, you know, try, you know, you meet you meet them right before the show. You meet them during soundcheck. 
And you're like, you know, oh, how, how long you been in town? Okay, okay. I mean, you know, where are you from? Okay, nice. And then, you know, then you're off and playing and you learn, you know, more about them playing than you do in the conversations. And That's awesome. Tell me about, yeah, your, yeah. Tell me about your band you're playing with. Um, well, right now we're just so over the years I played with a group called Smoking Guns, which was a uh, two female singers and and myself and I you know I did harmony with two leads female singers and then from there I went and played with a, an artist named Johnny T and I was the lead player for both of those bands and um, sang backups and a couple songs on lead you know it's basically my role with them mm-hmm. and and then like say from there I've just kind of jumped over and done the you know solo artist thing and i did cash crawford and emily allen and uh and i we had a little band called first rodeo and then when the shutdown happened we kind of had to you know go our separate ways because cash is she's from uh vancouver so she had to leave and go back to canada for a solid year just about wow we kind of had to readjust and you know we've kind of came out of it it's just like you know like we're still a team but you know, let's just make, you know, we, we all made different areas of headway in the in that time. So, you know, we're kind of different so areas of personal growth walk. and stuff musically and, and otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so right now we're just basically doing the, um, doing the solo artist thing and I've got, I'm lucky, you know, right now, most of my band gigs are, um, are with my two buddies that, you know, we're, we're helping, we're trying to, start up the studio together and you know just slowly just taking it step by step but jeremy pearl and douglas gross who are two of my best friends in town here and have been since i moved here so they um so yeah we play together that's those are my go-to guys well awesome a lot with this with a girl emily allen right now and cash crawford so we're uh, you know we're still a team and all that you know from the first rodeo days but say it's just a little easier now just to kind of be like all right yeah emily and ross or cash and ross right <laughs> well so we got the the new single cannonballs coming out on april 8th uh i'm assuming itunes spotify all of the all of the big uh, release places right they so people can download yes, that so. yeah yeah awesome and where, yeah. where can they follow you? go ahead i was joking limewire and napster i was joking <laughs> god do those things even exist anymore <laughs> I can re- no. God, I can remember going to a, you would you would you know you didn't I didn't know exactly I didn't understand the the space at the time but you would go to bed you'd click on a couple of songs and then you'd go to bed and you'd wake up the next morning and they still wouldn't be downloaded <laughs> right it'd be some like twenty four hour download time and stuff oh yeah that was, that oh, was the worst. How'd we ever do it? Right. Well, listen, I'll tell you how we did it. We went to good old fashioned brick and mortar uh, record stores and, and I do miss Amen. those terribly. And, and when I get a chance to go to one, when I see one, uh, it's kind of like, a, you know, it's kind of like seeing a unicorn, but it's fan fantastic. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a special now. Yep. Absolutely. So listen, I, I want to thank you very much for your time. I know you're extremely busy. I'm looking forward to um, the release and, and all that comes with it for you. And, uh, I'd, I'd love to, I think I, I, I want to go up to Nashville and I think when I come to Nashville, I'll send you an email and, and, you know, bring my wife and we'll be able to sit down and watch you play. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me know. 
If you ever get down to Florida here, bring that chopper down here and I'll show you some people think there's no good roads here in Florida where I live. You go about five minutes south of here and you're out in the middle of nowhere by the phosphate mines. And I could take you on some roads that are just seem to go forever and they're fantastic. It's way out in the country. So it's, it's good stuff. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely, yeah, I'll definitely reach out. So, well, cool, man. Thank you very much. Where can they find you online on Instagram, Facebook, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, just um, Ross Flora Music on Instagram and Ross-Flora on Facebook. Um, like I say, all the pages are there at the top, you know, and then RossFlora.com or Ross-Flora.com is awesome. my website. And yeah, so just I appreciate all the support. And uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, this release is going to go great. I'm sure it will, man. It's a great song, honestly. I, I've I've been listening to it kind of in hot rotation for the last couple of days since since I got it from your uh, from your management company. It's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. It's really good. If, and, it, and if it wasn't good, I would find other different superlatives to say. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when someone has a baby and and the baby's not the, the not the prettiest okay. infant you've ever seen. You're like, oh, she's got a lot of hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. We'll keep the rubber on the road, and uh, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me here today, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon, and uh, hopefully I get to see you sometime here in Nashville. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, Jason. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Hour on Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Thank you for listening.